Hello and welcome. I'm Clive Cunningham. And I'm Andrew Proctor. And in this edition of Herbert Smith Freehill's Financial Services Regulation in Focus series, we're discussing operational resilience. But for the most part, we'll adopt the shorthand of OPRES in this podcast. OPRES is surely one of the most fashionable topics in global regulation. The EU is finalising a new regulation on digital operational resilience for the financial sector called DORA. The US authorities issued guidelines in October last year. The Basel Committee issued principles on OPRES at the end of March. And here in the UK, a consultation process which started in 2018 reached a climax of sorts last month when the FCA, the PRA and the Bank of England as supervisor of financial market infrastructures all issued new rules on operational resilience. On top of that, the PRA released its rules on the closely related topic of outsourcing and third-party risk management. And outsourcing is a subject on which we already have EBA guidelines for banks and investment firms, an ESMA report and uh, EOPA guidelines for insurance. The UK's March OPRES package is made up of 14 different documents and around 300 pages. And all of that means a lot of international firms will need to comply with more than one set of guidelines on OPRES. And unfortunately, the different guidelines come into effect on different timetables. But although there are differences in the detail between the UK, the US and the EU proposals, the good news is that they're actually very similar in what they require. First of all, you need to identify your most important business services. Next, you've got to assume failure. That is, you have to assume the services will be unavailable and then test that using some scenario planning. Then for each of the services, you need to set a risk tolerance for the maximum level of disruption you're willing to accept. Most importantly, that'll be a question of how long you're willing to be without a key service or a system. And finally, you need to design a mitigation strategy so you stay within your impact tolerances. That's easy to say, but it's actually very challenging and very uncomfortable, even for firms that already have experience with recovery and resolution plans or who've been reviewing their legacy outsourcing contracts. For banks, insurers and large or complex firms, it will probably require a cross-divisional implementation project. And the SCA and the PRA will expect that project to be assigned to a senior manager. Seems to me to be the kind of project you'd assign to an SMF24, Chief Operations Function, either the COO or the CIO, maybe even a shared responsibility between the two. But whoever is accountable, that should be reflected in their statement of responsibility. The first UK milestone is just over 10 months away now, in March 2022. By then, UK firms should have identified their important business services and set impact tolerances. And in order to achieve that, they should also have started mapping mapping the people, processes, technology and information required to deliver each of the important business services and develop some scenarios for testing disruption to those services and identify areas of vulnerability. And they should also have developed a plan for fully meeting the regulators' expectations by March 2025. Note the subtle shift of focus here. These new rules focus on continuity of services what a bank or other financial institution delivers to customers and other end users. It's not on the resilience of individual systems, controls, operational resources, but of course those systems and resources 
including internal services such as IT, have to be resilient to support the outward services. On the testing side, the regulators say firms should test operators using extreme but plausible scenarios. I guess the common understanding of the extreme but plausible has changed after COVID-19. But the pandemic has also taught us a lot about resilience and the ability of firms to work around problems. Yeah, indeed. I think this time last year, the response to a lot of business continuity scenario planning would have been, okay, back to the backup site. But now I think we've got so much experience of working from home. I wonder actually if those huge and usually empty backup sites will even survive. But Clive, you mentioned the need for firms to set tolerances for disruption. In fact, as you know, dual regulated firms in the UK need to set two tolerances. That reflects the different statutory objectives of the regulators. Essentially, the FCA wants to know a firm's tolerance for impact on customers, whereas the PRA wants to know a firm's tolerance for impact on the stability of the financial system. And not all business services for FCA purposes will be important for PRA purposes and vice versa. So there's a lot to do. And there isn't as much time as some people think. It's said that firms have to meet the requirements of the UK regulators to consistently stay within the set tolerances by March 2025. But between now and then, the regulators expect firms to have put in place, as they put it, sound, effective and comprehensive strategies, processes and systems that enable them to address risks to their ability to remain within their impact tolerances for each important business service in the event of a severe but plausible disruption or extreme disruption. That sounds awfully close to the end product. And the regulator expectation is actually that firms must meet end state compliance within a reasonable time, no later than March 2025. So it could be less than three years for some firms. Actually, it gets a little worse, I think, because the operational resilience timetable also gets front-loaded into the requirements to review legacy contracts under the changes to the regulation of outsourcing arrangements. That's right. One of the things that all the regulators call out on operators is the interconnectedness most firms have with third parties. Third-party providers might be the source of operational failure, and they might hold the key to getting the business service up and running again. A firm needs to be able to rely upon outsource providers to give it information about any vulnerability, and it needs to be able to work with the outsource provider if it's to get up and running again as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I noticed the PRA has said that if a third party won't agree to contractual terms that allow the firm to meet its operas obligations, then the firm should report that to the PRA and name the third party. It does. I think that's potentially a very significant addition. The focus of the regulators on third parties may start to change the balance of power between firms and those third parties when it comes to negotiating contractual terms in outsourcing agreements, even those which may not technically qualify as outsourcings under the regulatory definitions. It won't be so easy for the suppliers to say, these are our terms, take them or leave them. Many firms will have been reviewing legacy outsourcing contracts to see that they meet the EBA guidelines on outsourcing. We've certainly seen a focus on renegotiating standard terms so that firms have access to more information and so they can manage a whole range of risks, including cyber, data protection and operational resilience. And regardless of whether the IT is in-house or provided by an external party, the regulated firm remains responsible for regulatory compliance. There's no get out for firms with the regulator if something goes wrong. 
So one set of external stakeholders which firms will have to navigate as part of delivering operational resilience in line with regulatory expectations will be these third-party suppliers. The EU's DORA proposals actually include some terms that it would generally expect to see included in contracts with third-party providers, including on subjects like information sharing and termination. I'm expecting more on that from the different regulators. One positive for firms is that the regulators do seem to open to market solutions to obtaining assurance on third parties and their subcontractors to avoid duplication of effort. So, for example, third-party certificates. The PRA expressly encourages this. Well, that sounds like a topic for another podcast, but the whole dynamic between firms and third-party providers is one on which firms will want to keep their regulators informed, at least if they're lucky enough to have a dedicated supervision team. That PRA requirement to name a third party that doesn't uh, cooperate is actually a very clever one because I don't imagine any firm will want to go to its regulator to say it can't meet its regulatory obligations because a third party won't agree to provide the necessary support. And Clive, I wanted to come back to one of the core requirements of the UK OPRES proposals, the need to identify important business services. I guess a lot of firms will already have identified critical business services in the context of outsourcing arrangements, but the definition here is different. Important business services are services provided to an end user or customer where if there was a disruption to the service, it would cause intolerable harm to consumers or market participants or harm market integrity or threaten the safety or soundness of a firm or threaten financial stability or in the case of insurers could threaten policyholder protection. And firms need to consider all of those potential outcomes and look at the chain of activities that make up a business service and identify which bits of that chain are critical to the delivery of the service. And all of those elements need to be operationally resilient. The regulators say that what's to be included on a list of important business services will vary from firm to firm, and they haven't given a lot of guidance. And it's my guess it'll take a little while for a consensus or consistency to emerge around the kinds of services that firms are including. In some ways, identifying the important business service will be the easy bit. Setting impact tolerances will be more uncomfortable There might be a range of metrics that a firm uses, but the most important will be time-bound metrics. Time-bound metric might interact with other metrics, say the number of customers affected or the volume of interrupted transactions. But it's having to say, this is the period of time we are willing to have a service unavailable, which will be uncomfortable for boards. Yeah, and again, I think it'll take a little while for a benchmark to be established. I think firms will be eyeing their competitors and the tolerances they set. And once you've identified the things that matter and thought about what might go wrong and set your impact tolerances, then you need a plan to stay within those impact tolerances. I think some of the early consultations in the UK seem to focus too heavily on substitution. That is on the need to find some other way of providing the important business service. And I thought some of the substitution examples were a little too simplistic. Things like shifting to telephone or branch banking when your digital bank is down sound easy, but in practice, we've seen it's rarely quite that simple. Even so, when it comes to substitution, we are seeing firms set up new contractual arrangements with suppliers who could step in if the main supplier failed. And I'm sure the regulators will be looking hard at the assumptions being made in those substitution arrangements, actually to make sure they're reasonable, especially if there's a concentration of service providers. It's interesting that the PRA also felt the need to say explicitly that it had no preference for substitution over recovery. PRA seems to be accepting there that sometimes the outage 
would be for as long as it took to get the service up and running again. And acceptance, I suppose, that sometimes substitution just won't be possible. Yeah, and also interesting that the PRA accepts that a firm faced with an actual crisis might reasonably decide it should not resume a service within its specified risk tolerance, presumably because it can't do so safely or stably. So, Clive, I think we've covered off the main elements of the UK proposals, but there is a lot of material and a lot more to come. That's true, Andrew. And we'd be remiss not to mention the uh, HSF Operational Resilience Hub, which can be found on hsf.com. The hub hosts an interactive timeline, which charts the development of operational resilience from around 2017 and looks ahead to future dates. Currently covers the UK, EU, Hong Kong, Singapore, and various international standards setters like the Basel Committee, IOSCO, and the Financial Stability Board. Now, we took a broad approach to operational resilience in the hub. So the timeline covers cyber resilience, business continuity planning, and outsourcing, amongst many other topics. And the timeline's updated quarterly. There's also a very useful takeaway document which sets out a holistic approach to operational resilience. I agree. Uh, Kat Dankos and her team have done a really great job and produced a really useful site. So what are the key takeaways, Andrew, for firms? I think, firstly, if a firm hasn't already started, they'll need to set up a project to meet the end March 2022 milestones to identify all the important business services, set some quantifiable impact tolerances for each of them, start mapping all the resources that support those services, start some scenario testing, identify areas of vulnerability and have an agreed plan for how to stay within the impact tolerances from the end of transitional period in March 2025. Secondly, for dual regulated PRA and FCA, firms will need to look at both sets of rules and the different lenses that the regulators are applying. Thirdly, they need to allocate project responsibility to a senior manager, maybe two, and then integrate the project with any outsourcing agreement reviews that are ongoing, such as the EBA guidelines compliance. And for international firms, lastly, watch out for international developments in the operational resilience area. Now, we plan to do another podcast focus on the new PRA expectations for outsourcing and third-party risk management. So please do join us for that. And meantime, please visit our operational resilience hub as well. Many thanks for listening.